Alright, good morning church. For those of you who don't know, my name is Stephen, and uh, you might be wondering why I'm sitting this morning. Um, I'm fine, my back's fine, don't worry, I'm healthy and strong, but um, the nature of the sermon, I think, is going to be a bit conversational this morning, but before I dive into that, I just want to let you as a church know that um, after today's service, we are having a funeral for Paul Court, who is Lynn Holmes's father. And um, I'll chat to you more about that after today's preach. But um, if you know Lynn and the family, or if you knew Paul, uh, you are welcome to join us. Um, there will be some eats and stuff over here between 11.30 and 12. And then we will have meets, uh, meets together uh, from 12. Um, so just pray for the family during this time. But uh, we have been going through a series called Abide. Uh, it's been a series on prayer in some sense of the word. Uh, we've spoken about praying through scripture. We've spoken about prayer in a number of ways. We've spoken about fasting. Uh, but all of these we've realized during the course of the series are not um, the end themselves. They are a means to an end. In other words, we don't simply, and hear what I'm saying, we don't simply just read the Bible and pray every day and tick off the box with clean consciences. No, praying and fasting and reading and praying through Scripture are ways that we abide. There are ways that we push into the presence of God. There are ways that we know Him better because those are the actual goals. And I hope that actually stimulates greater prayer in our lives and greater time with God's words that they are in our hearts so that we can know Him. We had planned, though, to start a brand new series today, which we will now start next week. Um, I say that with about 95% confidence, um, because we were going to start a new one today, but the conversation around prayer has been so vibrant. Uh, we know for a fact that God is doing such a wonderful thing in, in, in most of your lives, in your life groups, and even on Sundays, been such special times. Uh, but you've been talking to us and talking about what God is saying, but also bringing some of your doubts and your concerns about prayer to us and um, some of these questions are so important that we felt like we really need to help you navigate those questions this morning and and the reason being is we've worked really hard on why why we should pray why we should abide abide and and again just to remind you Jesus says man abide in me and I will abide in you and apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want to know Jesus and if we want to be fruitful in our lives, we are going to be abiding. So amongst many other things, those, that's one of the biggest reasons we abide. It's a big why. We've also tried to work really hard on how. Here's how to fast. Here's how to pray. A number of teachings on how to pray. Here's how to read and how to pray through Scripture. So God's Word gets not only into our minds, but into our hearts. And we've done everything in our power to give you tools like journals and like the series guide and a couple of mornings and events to help you with the how. But sometimes we can be so motivated with the why and we've got all the tools in the world, but sometimes we have a bit of a niggly question in the back of our minds that can actually prevent us from moving forward in prayer. And that is our actual goal, not just to tick the box and we've done this great series, but to move you forward into prayer. And so we're going to look at three questions this morning. Uh, I guarantee you, you have asked at least one of these, if not all of them. And maybe it is a present struggle for some of you, if not all of you. Um, we might not ask another pressing question you have. Uh, you're welcome to engage with us after the service. Uh, but these are probably the top three questions that have come out of the series. We want to help you navigate these questions. So... 
This morning is going to be less preachy and more teachy, uh, but I really hope that it's helpful to you this morning. So we're going to dive straight into question number one. Question number one, and I'm sure you've asked this question before, especially if you've grown up in church. Why should we pray if God already knows what we're going to ask? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Ever asked that question? Now, that's not just a philosophical question that just comes to our minds. That's actually a biblical question. Because Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, he's teaching us on how not to pray. And he's saying, don't pray like these hyper-religious types, which we'll get into just now. And don't pray like the pagans. Um, And then he says this, he says, do not be like them. For your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. That's where this question comes from. And then Jesus goes on to say, this then is how you should pray. So these seem to be two contradictory statements. Your father in heaven, who is sovereign, who knows all, who sees all, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, man, he knows what you're going to uh, ask and what you need before you even ask him, but this is how you should pray. Is that a contradiction? Apparently it wasn't a contradiction for Jesus because if anyone knew his father's sovereignty and his father's power, his omnipotence, his omniscience, which means he's all-knowing, it was Jesus. And yet Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed desperately. Jesus prayed boldly. Jesus prayed persistently, which all postures we can learn. So how did Jesus manage to understand that on one hand God knows everything, including what I'm going to ask, and us praying? Uh, Some of the answers touch on themes we have touched on in the last couple of weeks, Um, but maybe as we talk about these under the topic of this question, maybe they'll land in a different place for you this morning. But number one, one of the reasons why we pray, even though God knows what we're going to ask, is because prayer moves us onto God's agenda. Prayer moves us onto God's agenda. A couple of years ago when I um, spoke on prayer, um, I was actually reminded of this quote that I used, that we pray until our will, sorry, until God's will becomes our will. All right? And again, we've spoken about this so much that our default, when we just kind of close our eyes and start praying, is to bring out our shopping list of needs. And God, can you help me out here? And God, can you just show up here a little bit? And, and God, please help you know, me with my exam and finances. And we come out with our needs, which is wonderful. And God does want us to come to Him with our needs. But one of the primary purposes of prayer is to shift us, to actually move us onto His agenda, which is why right at the top of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. Not mine. Move me onto your kingdom's agenda and your will be done. Move me. So pray. Let's pray. Let's learn how to pray until our will, sorry, until God's will becomes our will. You see, if we develop this fatalist view, well, you know, God knows everything and he knows what I'm going to ask and he knows what I need. So um, I'm not going to bother asking him. Let me ask you this question and you would know this if you've ever gone for days or weeks or months without praying. Does that view move you onto his agenda or away from his agenda? Do you become more sensitized to his kingdom or more desensitized to his kingdom? Does it move you towards him or away from him? And I think we all know that the answer is when we ceasing to pray and engage him, even though he knows these things, we tend to drift. We tend to move off his agenda and onto our own. And uh, prayer, daily prayer helps us keep us on his agenda. 
Um, the other interesting thing about this verse is that Jesus says, our Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. The problem is, we don't always know what we need. We know what we want, but we don't always know what we need. If I gave my kids, who are six and eight, everything they wanted and everything they asked, they would be demonic. <laughs> the size of a house, no teeth, and possibly in rehab. Or dead. You see, they don't always know what they need. We, as far as is possible, know what they need. And so we don't always give them what they ask. We give them what they need. But it doesn't stop there. Because part of the maturation process with our children is, I want you to get to a point where you want what you need, right? Where you actually recognize sometimes what you need to do is eat your vegetables. I don't want you to be 33 years old and your wife phones me up and says, you know, Nate isn't eating his veggies again. I want him to know the importance of eating well, of delayed gratification, and where his wants become his needs. And God is wanting that for us. And that, just like in our kids' lives, that takes time. So the first reason why we pray, even though God knows everything, is to move us onto his agenda. The second reason is, and it's very similar, is that prayer transforms us. I am changed by praying. Again, we've just been learning that the point of prayer is less about using prayer like this pinata stick to hit God the pinata and get what I really want. And it's more about me knowing him. Me knowing him in relationship. And part of this is actually God wants us. Even though he knows what we need, he wants us, and this is part of the relational side of this, he wants us to come to him with our needs. He wants us to declare our needs. Now again, uh, when my kids were born, they were absolutely dependent on Bianca and myself for everything. They couldn't even chew on their own. All right, so we needed to feed them. We needed to process their food. We needed to change their nappies. We needed to make sure they were warm at night. We needed to dress them. We actually needed to carry them around for the first few months of their lives. But the point came where they could crawl and eventually brush their teeth and eventually get dressed in the morning. They're kind of at the point where they're even choosing their own clothes. The time will come when um, they will be financially independent uh, by the time they're 14 years old. Um, <laughs> and they will have their own job. And in many ways, they will not be physically dependent upon us. However... One thing I hope never changes, and this is one of our great goals in parenting, is that they still want to be in relationship with us. And as much as I think that carries over into prayer, I think sometimes we make the mistake that our development with God is the same as our kids' development with us. Okay, so Lord, when I was a brand new baby Christian, I needed you for everything. I came to you with all my needs. I needed you to just give me strength for the, for the day and, and grace to see your will and the transformation that I need in my life and my marriage and my kids' life and my parents' lives. I needed you for all those things. But now that I'm all grown up, I'm doing fine on my own, God, right? And when Jesus says, when we come to him, we must pray like children, he's not talking about being childish. He's talking about being childlike, 
And one of the ways we are childlike is even if we are 70, 55, 45 years old, you've been a Christian for 15 or 100 years, who knows? I believe one of the signs of maturity is the more mature we get, the more we realize that we need him daily. And so we are transformed by him in prayer. And the third brief point, why we should pray, even though God knows what we're going to ask, um, is this. God has ordained that he works through prayer. Now this is a bit of a philosophical point, although I'm going to be brief on it. This crazy idea that God is omniscient, which means he knows all. God is omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. God is large and in charge. God is in control. He is the true king of the universe. We don't always understand his ways, but we call him sovereign. And this sovereign God has ordained, this is one of his free choices, that he has chosen to work through prayer. Stephen, exactly how does it work? I don't know, but he said it. So, you see, again, if we're going to err on, uh, well, let us not pray because God is sovereign. And if he said such and such is going to happen, then what's the point of me praying about it? Well, I think part of the point is we can either participate with him and that's part of our joy and that's part of God's mission or we just serve our own kingdoms and we miss out on all of that and the rewards that come from that. But the other part is this. I mean, look, Lord, if you're going to save my parents anyway, why should I pray about it? Lord, if you're going to save my neighbor at your appointed time, why should I pray about it? If I'm going to fall down the stairs tomorrow at three o'clock in the afternoon, why should I even bother preventing the fall? Right? Because you're sovereign and you know all things. I'm going to quote a 19th century theologian by the name of A.A. Hodge. um, And I love just how he answers this question. He says this, and just track with me here. Does God know the day you'll die? Yes. Has he appointed that day? Yes. Can you do anything to change that day? No. Then why do you eat? To live. What happens if you don't eat? You die. So if you don't eat and die, then would that be the day that God had appointed for you to die? Quit asking stupid questions and just eat. (laughs) Eating is the preordained way God has appointed for living. And prayer is the preordained way that God has chosen to operate through his people. And while we don't always understand how to join the dots We're not relying in our ability to understand God's sometimes ununderstandable ways, if that's such a word. We're putting our faith in Him and that He has chosen to act through prayer. And here's the thing. It's just, again, call it coincidence. I think this is the way God has designed it. The more we pray, the more we see God's hand at work and the more we participate with Him. So those are maybe just three very brief answers as to um, why we should pray even though God knows what we're going to ask before we ask him. Uh, so that's a bit more of a philosophical question, meaning it's kind of a, a thinking question. It's something that maybe bothers us in our minds. But the next question is a heart question. It's an emotional question. And it's, the question, it's this question. Um, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Often this question comes from a place of pain. Uh, Lord, I pray that so-and-so would be healed and he or she wasn't. Or Lord, I've been praying for a spouse for so many years now and I'm still praying for a spouse. 
Lord, uh, uh, I've been praying for financial freedom and I'm still in financial difficulty. Lord, why are you not answering my prayers? I've been praying for my son. I've been praying for my parents and they're still just so far from you. Why haven't you answered my prayers? Now, I do want to caution us all on this. I want us all to, in a, in a way, put on a pastor's hat. Because I've heard some very well-meaning, right-hearted people give some very wrong-headed responses to this question. You see, while the Bible does give some uh, a sense of, here's maybe a few things for us to consider why God hasn't been answering my prayer. He, he gives us some wisdom. I just don't know the reason God hasn't answered your specific prayer. And in fact, let me go one step further. Um, I don't believe God promises to give us a reason this side of heaven as to why he answers, hasn't answered certain prayers. While we can have a conversation about this that comes from the scriptures, um, I can't walk into you and you tell me your pain and I go, it's because there's sin in your life. And even worse, it's because you're not tithing enough. I've heard people say that. So please, when someone brings this question to you, walk with them. Please don't be too quick to tell, give them a definitive answer. Journey with them, pray with them, support them. God may or may not throughout the journey and the process give some sense of here's maybe what I'm up to and what I'm doing here. The journey towards faith, journey towards him, even if you're walking in the dark. All right, so that's just a quick appeal from me. But let's look at some of the biblical reasons as to why God may not be answering some of our prayers. Number one, you're not right with God. Psalm 66 verses 18 says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, Stephen, does that mean that when I pray, I have to be perfect? No, not at all, if anything God's word says and shouts at us, listen, come to me in your imperfections. But there's a big difference between coming to God with our imperfections, recognizing our fragility, recognizing I haven't got everything worked out and Lord, I need your grace to get through this and very consciously and very intentionally holding onto willful sin. Even though God is speaking and even though God is calling and even though God is convicting, Think about what that does in a marriage. If you're holding on to huge secrets or continuing just in a sinful relationship, uh, uh, be it sexual or be it just deceit or be it financially hiding or stealing, whatever it might be, again, does that move you towards your wife or away from her? Does it make her more inclined to respond well to you or less inclined? Now, sometimes God, even though in, even in our sin, sometimes God does respond to us. But that says more about His grace and His generous heart to us. And hence, one of these things, we need to uh, uh, come to God and just ask God uh, if this is maybe where we're at. For example, a few months ago, we spoke through the book of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, uh, Peter says to us, hey, husbands, if you're dishonoring and disrespecting your wives, your prayers will be hindered. Because this is God's daughter that you're disrespecting and dishonoring. So this is something we need to consider in our lives, number one. Number two, and again, by no means am I saying that's the only reason, uh, but it is something to consider. Number two, one of the reasons God may not be answering our prayers is because something in you needs to change. 
And if God just waved his magic wand and gave you the very thing you've been asking, you would not be transformed. And therefore, in the greater scheme of things, you would be losing out. If not your wife, your children, your marriage, etc. James 4 verses 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives. So the time comes when we're maybe asking for good things, maybe right things, but with wrong motives. And God says, sometimes that is the reason why I'm not giving you the things you're asking for, even if they're good things. God wants to bring about a heart, a change of heart in us. I heard recently about two parents who were praying for years and years and years about their estranged son. And just desperately praying, Lord, send him back to us. Lord, bring him to repentance. Lord, may he be that prodigal son who comes to his senses and comes back to us. And years and years and years of praying, nothing happened in their lives. And they were so desperate and they're so angry with God for not answering their prayers. And with some counsel and some input and journeying with, with some leaders, they eventually came to realize and also through prayer, God enlightening something in their hearts that actually they were the reason their son had left. And something in them had to change. They had to repent of certain patterns of behavior. They had to move from being off God's agenda to being on God's agenda. And once they did that, they created the space for their son to return to him. Sometimes God's unanswered prayers are the very catalysts that moves us toward an answered prayer. But sometimes God needs to do something in us first. So we've got two possible reasons as to why God doesn't answer our prayers. Number three, um, another possible reason is your prayers do not align with God's will. A verse that we looked at last week, uh, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The simple truth is sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer because you're praying for the wrong things. Maybe sometimes we just know we're obviously asking for the wrong things. Lord, would you be ever so gracious to allow my wife to let me have three girlfriends on this side? Okay, that's, that's quite an obvious. Or oh Lord, this year, please, Lord, uh, I would love just to legally get off paying tax. Please, Lord. All right, sometimes we're very conscious of the fact that our prayers are quite silly at times. But there are other times, again, maybe we're right-hearted and we, we think we're coming with the right motives, but we are not praying God's will. Partly because sometimes we are maybe ignorant to the Scriptures. We are ignorant to God's revealed will. And we spoke about that last week. If you missed it, please do yourself a favor and go and listen to that. Maybe we have not processed uh, 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 God's heart, God's character, what he's wanting to do in our lives. Uh, uh, let me give you an example. And it is an uncomfortable example and it is just an example. Uh, but when suffering comes into our lives, what is the very first thing we ask God to do? Take it away. Or just wave your magic wand and make it go away. Now, God can. And sometimes God does. And there is nothing wrong with asking God to take it away. But when we try and understand God's will in His revealed will, in His word, when it comes to suffering, is that sometimes God allows suffering in our lives to transform us to do something in our character. 
uh, 1 Peter 1 talks about God purifying us by allowing trials in our lives. James 1 talks about uh, counted pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of these many kinds. Why? Because God is creating perseverance in you and maturing you. Now, I can't account for every piece of suffering in my life or in your lives, but these are some of the things that God may be doing in your life. John 15 talks about God pruning us at times, which is painful, but the point of pruning is to provide greater fruits. So the more we understand God's revealed will around something like suffering, we can pray, we can ask God, would you do something that just miraculously removes the suffering in my life? But we're also gonna wrestle with his revealed will and trust God with the results. I love the way uh, Tim Keller talks about this because again, we do need to come with children, like children. We do need to come with our big, bold asks. Uh, But Timothy Keller says this, God tempers the outcome of our prayers with his incomprehensible wisdom. Again, we can ask away that God who is infinitely wise, he's gonna temper our prayers and do what is best for us and for his kingdom. And number four, the final one uh, under this question, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Is because number four, sometimes God is wanting to develop perseverance in you, specifically perseverance in prayer. If prayer is like a muscle, one of the muscle groups that God wants to develop in us is praying boldly. He wants to develop the muscle of us praying according to his will. He wants us to develop the muscle of praying empowered by his spirit and praying his word. But one of the muscle groups God wants to develop in us as we pray is to pray with perseverance. Now, some of you have maybe observed two, again, maybe potentially contradicting ideas in scripture. The one is we looked at it earlier where Jesus is saying, do not pray like these hyper-religious types who stand on street corners and stand up in the church and they just go on and on and on and on and on. Or do not be like the pagans who just babble on, babble on and babble on. And it says that um, they think they will be heard because of their many words. So they're saying, this is me coming before God. Whoa, man, uh, I'm going to impress God with my words. I'm going to impress God with my vocabulary. I'm going to pray and everyone's going to look at me and go, what a great righteous prayer that guy or that lady is. And Jesus says, don't be like that. And my thing to you, don't be like that either. However, that has concluded, some, uh, some people have concluded that that means God is against praying for lengthy periods of time. And again, that is not an understanding Jesus had. Jesus often went a whole night praying. Jesus often withdrew for great periods of time in order to pray. And in fact, in in Luke 11 and in, in a number of times in scripture, one of the things Jesus is trying to teach us is to pray with perseverance. So what's the difference between going on and babbling, the kind of prayer Jesus doesn't want us to do, and persevering prayer, which he does want us to do? And we've kind of touched on it already. The first one is, man, this is, I, in my heart, in my mind, I'm hoping to impress God enough that because I say the right words, because I pray long enough, hey, wow, Steve, you hit 15 minutes. Okay, I'll do it. And also there's a sense of, man, and I really hope everyone else is noticing what a great prayer I am. That's the one. The other one is gritty. It is desperate. It is not done to impress 
press God. It is done because we are desperate. It is it is done. We pray persistently because God, I'm going to come to you again and again and again. There's a parable about a persistent widow. He comes again and again to a judge. There's a, a parable about a friend who needs some bread because some people have shown up unexpectedly and he goes to his neighbor and he asks boldly. Jesus is saying, no, come with boldness and come with perseverance. It's gritty, it's desperate, it's not to impress God, it's not to impress others. And that is the big difference between the two. And that is the muscle, one of the muscles God wants to grow in us. And sometimes, just like we need to have resistance training in order to get bigger physical muscles, sometimes we need to have resistance training in prayer. Listen to Romans 15 verses 13. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. And God wants us to enter that battle zone and persevere and struggle. So um, there are two big questions. Uh, the third one that we want to address this morning is um, maybe not an issue, it's maybe not an obstacle for us, but it is a very commonly asked question, and that is this. How do I hear the voice of God? Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. How do we hear the voice of God? In week one of the series, we looked at the power of a praying church and we looked at the fact that 59 times the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts. In fact, the book of Acts is more about the acts of the Holy Spirit than the acts of the apostles. 36 out of the 59 times, the Spirit speaks. He doesn't say how, we just know that He speaks. Now, what sometimes tempers my expectations with this is just to understand that this was over about a 30-year period of time. But nonetheless, over 30 years, the Spirit spoke very clearly in and through the church. And that empowered the church and emboldened the church for ministry. So the question is, well, how does this happen? How can we know Jesus' voice? How can we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Um, I I do want to talk about maybe some degrees of clarity with which the Holy Spirit speaks. To start on one hand, and and this is probably what was referred to in in the book of Acts, is when the Spirit speaks with great clarity and great power, maybe through dreams, maybe through visions, maybe through very clear prophetic pronouncements, all right? Very clear, a very uh, um, uh, just a distinct sense that this is the voice of God. But he doesn't always speak with that degree of clarity. I, I, I love just a piece of wisdom that I got from someone. that If I get an, a sense that, hey, maybe I've received an impression from God, is just to say, hey, listen, um, on a scale of one to 10, where one is all me and where 10 is all God, just where do you feel this is? You see, because sometimes the Spirit isn't speaking with that degree of clarity, writing on the wall. Sometimes he speaks to us in our consciences. Sometimes he convicts us. So if you hear a sermon or if you read God's word or if you're in a small group or read a book and you feel conviction, not condemnation, but conviction, well done, you've just heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's no writing on the walls or dreams and visions and passing out for four days and coming up, you know. Sometimes the Spirit gives us gentle urgings, gentle promptings. The more we tend to act on these, we tend to actually become our own filters. Okay, yes, that most certainly wasn't God. 
or actually that was, and we actually become more acquainted with his voice. But I want to give you a few thoughts when it comes to sharing the voice of the Holy Spirit yourselves. Number one, no scripture, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, no scripture. Uh, one pastor said, kind of semi tongue in cheek, he said, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible out loud. Now there's something very profound behind that because the way we understand the scriptures is that the scriptures are God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Spirit-breathed, the, the word is nephmaticos, which is uh, breathed out by the Spirit. In other words, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. The book of T. Peter talks about the prophets being carried along by the Holy Spirit when they wrote scripture. And so we trust that the words of Scripture are the words of God. And again, like last week, we can treat the words of God like something that we keep outside of ourselves, or we can treat God's Word as something that which we allow to penetrate us. And by doing that, we're going to get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we need to know Scripture. Number two, we need to know Jesus. And by that, I don't just mean knowing facts about Jesus as if we looked him up on Google or on Facebook, but know him. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, Steve, do you know that such and such a person did such and such a thing? And sometimes I go, that can't be because I know that person and that doesn't sound like them. And the more we know the character of Jesus, the more we know and experience his grace and his love and we are in an abiding relationship with him, we are going to be empowered to recognize his voice and to know when it is more likely him and when it is more likely not him. Here's an example. Uh, recently, and I actually saw this on, the, on Trevor Noah's show in the States, uh, which shows you how out of control this has got. Uh, one of these tele-evangelists uh, went on TV and he says, hey, I need to raise $58 million for a Learjet. All right. Um, in fact, it turned out to be his fifth Learjet because uh, the other four were not good enough. All right. And so he goes on TV and, and what astounds me, not only is he spouting off these things, but there are millions of people who believe him and put money into that account. So how do we know? Okay, so here's one of the things he said. He said, if Jesus were alive today, he would not travel around in a donkey, on a donkey. He would fly around in a Learjet. And the guy who was on Trevor Noah's show, he was like, here's the problem. Between donkey and Learjet, you've got the entire transportation industry. Could he not at least be in a Ford or a, you know, a Camry or something like that? You see, when we know Jesus, how he lays down his power, how he actually incarnates humility. I can say with 100% certainty that this guy has missed the boat because I know God's word and I know the character and the person of Jesus. Number three, the scriptures say very clearly that we need to test and weigh the voice of the Holy Spirit because you and I are not infallible. God's word is infallible, but sometimes we are fallible interpreters of God's word. And even more so, sometimes we are fallible interpreters of possibly God's voice coming into my life. 
So we need to weigh it. Now, how do we weigh it? We've already spoken about weighing it and testing it against God's word. The Holy Spirit will never tell us to do something that contradicts the very clear plan of God in his word. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, you know, God's telling me to divorce my husband and run away with some other guy. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry to tell you. But another way we test and weigh this, whenever the scripture is talking about testing, you can look it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, I think, and in 1 Corinthians 14, whenever this, I think it's 14, 23, whenever the scriptures talk about testing and weighing, it is always in community. I heard a saying a couple of months ago, isolation breeds eccentricity. See, when you're on your own and you receive, in inverted commas, a revelation from God, I love the way Andy Stanley says it. He said, don't believe everything you think. (laughs) We have some sense, oh, this is from God. And we start writing a blog about it and making these declarations. But we're in isolation We are not testing it against God's word and we're not bringing it to God's body, the church, and saying, here's what I think God is saying. What do you think? Testing and weighing is always in the context of community. So if you feel God is saying something to you, bring it to your small group. That implies humility. Humility to be corrected. Humility to be helped. And hey, if it is a certain bet, this is something that God's saying to you. Man, oh man, now you've got people on your left and your right helping you towards what God is saying in your life. Maybe someone's going to just direct you to some scriptures that maybe just might help you think more clearly through the thing that God is saying to you. On a Sunday morning, we most certainly don't give the microphone to everyone who believes they've got a word from the Lord. And so we believe part of the job of the elders of a church because we're assuming the elders of the church are hopefully in a good relationship with Jesus and a good relationship with his word that we will be able to pray and seek for discernment and wisdom before we just give them you know, open mic nights. Because sometimes it's just last night's pizza and indigestion. This is just making me think silly things. <laughs> On the other hand, we want to be pro. The Bible says we should not despise prophecies. So let us be responsible with God's voice in our lives. So we're going to weigh it. Number four, we need to check out the fruits. The scriptures are quite clear as to the fruits of the Spirit's work in our lives. I'm just going to look at a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says, the, the voice of the Spirit causes us to see Jesus as Lord. So does this voice uh, 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 in my life cause me to conclude that Jesus is Lord? The voice of the Holy Spirit is going to encourage and strengthen and comfort the church. All right? I don't know if we need to stand up here and start calling out individual people's sin. But we are called to encourage and to strengthen and comfort the church. That's going to be some of the fruits of the genuine voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, Part of the voice of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14 verses 24 and 25. It causes unbelievers to become believers. They are convicted to the point where they say, God is among you. 
So if we start seeing some of this evidence of God in our lives, again, moving us onto God's agenda, not away from God's agenda, moving us into an abiding relationship with God, not away from an abiding relationship with God, moving us onto God's revealed will and not away from God's revealed will. This is the kind of fruit that is going to accompany the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And maybe just one last thing, that if, if we want to hear God's voice, and I really want to encourage you, and all these things, we're going to be in God's word. We are going to be in an abiding relationship with Jesus. We are going to be praying God's word and praying God's will and, and praying God's prayers. But sometimes we need to set aside time to hear his voice. Very famous story in the Old Testament where, hey, is God coming in this earthquake? No, 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 that's not God. It's God coming in this violent storm. No, 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 that's not God. Oh wait, this is God. This still small voice. And while, you know, we're not in California where we bother too much by earthquakes and uh, we get these high felt thunderstorms, but our lives are like earthquakes and thunderstorms. Our timetable is so busy, we actually don't have time to really hear the voice of God. So if you do want to hear his voice of God, not at the expense of scripture, it's not scripture versus his voice. It's both and. In fact, they're complementary. One should drive you to the other. But carve out time. From time to time, I'll carve out, carve out two to three days just to clear my mind and hear, oh God, what are you saying to me? At other times, I'm not even really listening, but he comes to me. But hopefully because I'm learning to recognize his voice. So I understand that, that um, maybe some of your big questions and your big concerns haven't been answered this morning. But I, I can guarantee you've asked one of these three questions. And I really hope that it does help you this morning. So I, I want to conclude this series and we are most likely finished. <laughs> I want to pray for us. So let's pray. Father, I believe that you have deposited things in individuals during the course of this series. And God, I'm going to ask that you bring fruit from that. Lasting fruit. Father, I'm so aware that sometimes our hearts can be an obstacle. Just like the parable of the, the four soils and the seeds that fall in the soils. And sometimes the enemy snatches these seeds away from us before it even lands in the soil. Sometimes our hearts are so shallow that your word doesn't take root. We, we receive it with joy and we're so excited and then we just actually forget about it. Sometimes the concerns of this world chokes out the work that you're doing in our lives and hearts. But God, when your word and your seed lands on good soil, it brings fruit 30, 60, 100 times. And I'm asking, Lord, as, as the gardener and, and our Father, God, that you are transforming our hearts. Again, this image of sometimes a, a single seed can break open the hardness of a road or a sidewalk or a mountainside. And Father, I'm asking that these seeds that have been deposited in us through this series remain, are watered and nurtured by you and break open the hardness of our hearts to bring fresh life and fresh fruit. God, this implies that these seeds are going to remain in the days and the weeks and the months to come. And church, I just want to give you a few seconds to acknowledge maybe some of the things that rise to the top 
of what God has done in your life in the last five weeks. Maybe today you came with some doubts or some concerns and, and one of them was maybe one of the questions we looked at this morning. Maybe you said, yes, Lord, that's what's bothering me. And now you've spoken. Maybe you want to acknowledge that. Maybe you can't remember everything that was said and it's, that's impossible. But, but you know, man, if I look over the last five weeks, Lord, here are the top two things that stand out to me. Holy Spirit, we just, you just illuminate now in these few seconds. Just on our hearts, bring to the surface the things that you want us to notice and pay attention to. So in this time, church, just pay attention to those things. Notice them. Reflect them back to God. God, here are the top two things that come to mind. Write them down. Commit to share them with your small group, with your family, with your friends. Father, we thank you that even now we are to less and greater degrees experiencing the voice of the Holy Spirit moving in our consciences, shining light onto what you want us to pay attention to. And church, I encourage you to, if those are the things God is showing you, do that, pay attention to them. Go back to those sermons where we maybe spoke about those things. Go back to those scriptures or speak into those things. Pray into those things. Choose over the course of the next few weeks to journey with God over these things in your life. Choose to take the seed of God's word and receive it in a deeper way. To water it. To nurture it. To allow it to take root. Holy Spirit, we pray that as your seed is planted and watered that you will bring increase an increase in fruitfulness and an increase in life and knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.